This is On The Grid on MyPodcastHouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on MyPodcastHouse.com. Big show coming up, Richard Crowell to talk to us shortly. We'll have a look at what happened overnight in Formula One at Brazil. Also a little bit of a preview for Newcastle, we'll save more of that for next week though. Mark Braxton, and Steve Munro also to join us. Braxton to talk about the uh, upcoming, uh, sorry, the round that we just, uh, the upcoming final round of MotoGP is correct, and Steve Munro to talk about the uh, Aussie X as well. All that to come right here on The Grid. Our podcast with the man we know very well, Richard Crowell, joins us to talk all things four wheels. Hello, Crowley. Hello, Shabex. You had a nice weekend uh, at Winton, they tell me. Yeah, final round of the RXOS Australian Rallycross Championship, which was a great weekend. A uh, big day on Saturday with lots of races on a single day and uh, beautiful conditions up there, which was terrific. So really good weekend of racing and uh, Rallycross in Australia is slowly growing and we had 35 cars there, which was uh, the biggest field we've ever had. So uh, grids are growing and, um, yeah, really positive future for what I think is turning into the T20 of Australian mm. motor racing and yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of great potential. Uh, no doubt about it. And what a big uh, Saturday it was. Then we rally cross at Winton and Supercross uh, for the bikes up at Sydney at Qdos Bank Arena. We'll talk to Steve Munro a little bit later on about that. But uh, great to see that sort of format of racing getting uh, some pretty uh, big highlight days. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, it's that stadium style yeah. sport that that I think motor racing needs because increasingly it's harder to get people to go to a racetrack and sit outside, be it in the sun or the cold and rain for six or eight hours or however long a day the racetrack takes. And, um, you know, the the opportunities that football have got with, a you know, a nice little three-hour window and big bash cricket, the reason that's so successful is it's, a, you know, a cheap, uh, affordable, fun night out which goes for three hours and then you pack up and go home. Yeah. Uh, so the the motorsport alternatives to that, I think, are growing in stature and prominence, and I think are going to be really important for the sport as we uh, as we move forward and redefine what motor racing is. No, we'll talk supercars shortly, but of course we should talk about the Formula One Grand Prix overnight in Brazil and Lewis Hamilton getting the win, but uh, Max Verstappen getting the uh, the the points count by the referee, I think, uh, on Ocon. Which, uh, which well, that could have, gee, was that could have turned out to be pretty ugly. Yeah, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, you just get the feeling that there's, and Ocon was was repassing Verstappen to unlap himself. It was a lap down, so it, it's always the case that when a car's a lap down, trying to pass the letter of the race, things get a little bit dicey and. Um, you know, the, the blame tends to fall on the lapped car. But um, Verstappen's response was certainly probably not very good, where he went up and gave him a shove in, in the weigh-in area after the race, and, and Max has been censured for that, interestingly enough. So he's going to have to do some... Public service. service. Yeah, a couple of days of community service for the FIA, which is interesting. So, yes. um, which, yeah, I, Mark Webber put a tweet out this morning saying, um, what a rubbish penalty, you know, you, you're sucking the emotion out of it uh and i agree i agree with what mark's saying in in respect to that you want to see these guys saying what they think and being personalities and all that but at the same time uh i think it shows that verstappen's still got a lot to learn and uh he's still got a lot of growing up to do doesn't he um in his 
mm. his maturity and the way he deals and manages with things because he's he's very hot headed and you know had he waited you can make the argument that that Ocon shouldn't have tried to be unlapping himself or at the same time uh, should have been more careful doing it but um, at the same time if you're leading the Grand Prix and you're in the fastest car in the field as it was at the time you could probably have afforded to wait until the next straight to go past or let the lapped car through without any risk mm. rather than risking the dive bomb that he had at turn at turn two where it was. So, um, yeah, a little bit of maturity, I think, from Max Verstappen. But um, anyway, Red Bull's race to win. They lost it. And uh, it was another victory for Lewis Hamilton, who just continues to rack up the stats now and uh, sealed the Manufacturers' Championship for uh, Mercedes-Benz as well. Yeah, a great drive by Daniel Ricciardo, too, for a race that he probably wasn't going to drive two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> came in and uh, did really well from the uh, from the back of the grid. Yeah, yeah, as as is the case for Dan, he's the king of overtaking. Um, he'll pass anybody if he can, uh, and he often does. So, yeah, what, he's just got to wait for this year to end, surely. You, you, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, Shebex, but I'd rather be in a slower car that finishes every race than a really fast one that blows up every five minutes like his. I don't and know, yeah, maybe and, I'm... And hence the frustration. I'm, yeah, maybe I'm crazy, but... Um, yeah, he's so frustrated. He's he's ready for this year to end, and uh, at least he's continuing to show what his um, his his potential is, and how fast he is, and how how competitive we all know Daniel Ricciardo is. So, uh, yeah, good passing. He's the king overtaker in F one, and hopefully that continues next year when he jumps aboard a Renault. That's hopefully better than the Renault that they're running this year is. Yeah, one more race for the F ones. That'll be at Abu Dhabi in a couple of weeks' time. So look forward to can that. I, yeah, please. Can I say, Shebex? Just don't care. No, 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 <laughs> I, no neither do I. I. I don't know if I, it's over. I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really flat about F1 this year. It's it's been a frustrating season, and and I'm sure part of that is the the disappointment that Ricardo has had, and uh, how frustrating his season has been. When at the start of the year it looked like he was a regular contender week in week out, Verstappen was making stupid mistakes, and you look at the pace that Max has had in the last half of the year. And you go, well, if Dan had some luck, he would be, you know, winning races and maybe contending. But and without a doubt, the first three or four races this year, we had four genuine contenders. We had yeah, the, the two yeah. Mercedes, we had Vettel, yeah. and we had Ricardo. We're genuine contenders. And then, as every yeah. season has in the last couple, it fell away. Mercedes pushed the button and said goodbye. It, I, I, I can deal with the domination. I don't, I don't, that doesn't worry me because that's sport. not you, not you, year, yeah. year in and year out, though. No, yeah, but but even that, like I, I was quite content sitting through the Schumacher years and Ferrari winning everything for half a decade, but but they were in amazing racing cars that mm. sounded great, looked great, were were fast enough. It was a whole show. Um, yeah, and and but the, the cars still suck. They might be the fastest F one cars ever, but the racing's worse, I think, than it's ever been. The, and, and I think what frustrates me more than anything else is the fact that they cannot save themselves for themselves. Mm. They keep making stupid decisions and the politics inside between the FIA and the teams and Liberty who own the sport, they can never settle on a set of regulations that that are going to be good for the future of the sport. Whereas in the States, IndyCar, you know, they had a brilliant rule change last year where they took half the downforce off the top of the car put it underneath so the cars could follow closer. And the result was that we probably had the best year of road and street course racing and IndyCar racing in 20 years. Um, IndyCar's adding horsepower. They're taking grip away. 
in making the race cars more exciting to drive and they let the drivers do the job and you've got a bunch of different teams that can win any given week but the the best teams are still the ones that win the championship and um and that but that's because their regulations allow them to do that supercars yeah. is very much the same you know it, it's dominated by the two best teams in the sport but every now and then walkinshaw or erebus or tick for this year can pop up and grab a victory and that's terrific so until formula one get themselves into that point i'm really struggling to to get motivated by it and and i was thinking this morning that Five years ago, I would have got up at 4 a.m. for the Brazilian Grand Prix because it's always a great race, and, and today's was as well. But this morning, I uh, I much preferred my uh, much preferred the beauty sleep, Chebex. Yeah, so anyway. you, you got to think about it though, Krause, and uh, people like Claire Williams and all those single team owners who obviously don't have the financial backing of manufacturers and all that sort of stuff. Mm. At some point, they've got to say to themselves, and, and I know Claire was probably even close to it this year. What in the hell are we doing? Why are well, we doing it? Yeah, I know. I know because and the way it's it's structured it's so impossible for a team to catch up when you've got a third of the budget of the outright team and there's yeah. so much they can chuck at it. But that's just the way the regulations are written, a smart set of regs and they they've just got to they've got to deal with Ferrari and Mercedes and the top teams having a complaint about it and Bring back maybe fuel for stops. Maybe Ferrari will pull out if they change the regs to make it a more level playing field. Well, I'm sorry, tough. That just they're going to have to deal with that to, for the sake of having a sport that's competitive week in week out, yeah. rather than a rout and a, a sport. Yeah, the, what I, I like to say, Shabek, there's got to be hope in sport. So when you when you watch a footy game in round one of any given year. So round one is what? Carlton v. Essendon, isn't it? Richmond, so, Carlton v. Richmond. Carlton v. Richmond. Okay, well, even I, I went to that game two years ago, and we all knew that Richmond were going to be a great side. I mean, you Carlton are going to be rubbish. But round one, there's always hope. You go into the start of the year with hope that things are going to be great. Mm. But in Formula One, if you're Force India or you're Williams or you're even Sauber, there's, where, where's the hope? Because the only way you're going to win a race is if the top six cars crash out. Yeah. And it just doesn't happen. So there's no hope. But if you're in supercar and you're an Erebus or you're Brad Jones Racing, at least there's hope. You might not win week in, week out, but you know that you've got a shot if you nail everything at 100%. For one weekend, and that's it's proof in the pudding in that they get the results. And the and the other the other thing that comes into calculation is strategy. And at the moment, there is no Formula One strategy. The only strategy you've got is tires. Yeah, and bring fuel stops back in. Bring tires are rubbish. Make make yeah. strategy happen. Send cars out on light fuel loads at the start, knowing that they've mm. got a chance to get up there, and then work on strategy from there. Well, and, and, and that's, again, supercars is proof that that works and the yeah, car racing is yeah. exactly the same in that there's there's multiple strategies and you get people rolling the dice and there's enough variables that you can um, you can change it up. Yeah, I, I agree with that, 100%. Mm. Anyway, uh, we're going to have a good look at uh, Newcastle, the final round of supercars next week as uh, we head into that week of racing. Mm. Was, uh, we got some uh, we got some great results out of New Zealand, didn't we? At Pukekohe, that has just left this championship so alive and exciting. Oh, it's great. Yeah, you, you couldn't ask for a better a better showdown, could you? I mean, it's it's scripted to perfection. It's scripted better than last year's, I think, in terms that it's Van Gisberg and V McLaughlin. The Kiwis are going to go troppo. Um, you know, Red Bull Holden Racing Team v Shell V Power Racing once again, and. 
the, the story of the season and the way that it has uh, ebbed and flowed over the course of uh, this season and, you know, the Fords were fast early, then the Holdens came back and struck hard in the middle of the season as the Fords struggled and then Scotty's bounced back in the last two rounds. It's just been outstanding, hasn't yeah, it? What it a has. what a great fight. Yeah, it's a, an amazing fight and it's going to go right down to the wire. And I think what we're lucky enough this year is we saw the implosion of Scott McLaughlin last year in the final round. We yeah. know, uh, you talk about maturity, this guy just matures every race he steps behind a wheel. You know yeah. that's not going to happen this year. You just know it's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, he's a different driver 12 yeah. months on, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, 100% agree with you on that one. And, um, you know, that's that's going to be a critical factor to this weekend. But even even we've seen the cracks creep into Van Gisbergen, haven't we? Um, you know, giving Scott a, a biff at the hairpin, parking him in on Saturday at Auckland. Um, that was all unnecessary. The, the biff at the hairpin is just hard racing. I yeah. don't mind that at all. But the parking in thing was just a... <laughs> And, and not thinking about it move. It was just very silly. So they're the, they're the one percenters that they're going to... It, it, was, it was. It was hilarious. The, the onboard shot of... And full credit <laughs> to supercars. For, full credit to supercars for pushing that out. So there, there are other sports in the world that wouldn't want to show that. No, stuff. correct. But the first thing supercars did was put the video of Scotty so opening his door into the side of Van Gisbergen's car. Oh, that was brilliant. He just kept on opening it. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was great theatre. Um, so that's, that's brilliant. And all, all that just builds and adds to the championship. And, um, yeah, picking a winner is impossible. Um, you'd only lean towards 17 because he's got a narrow advantage, but it's a less of an advantage than he had at the same point last year. And we all know what happened. And Newcastle's a phenomenal event with a brutal circuit and mm. an amazing vibe. And, um, I mean, I've, the way that place cheered last year over the oh, course of the, the way that weekend unfolded was remarkable. Yeah. So uh, I think we're going to see more of that. And we'll, I'm sure we'll see a bigger crowd. I don't know how they'll fit them in, but I'm sure we'll see it. And um, it's a it's a showdown that is going to be uh, something pretty incredible, I reckon. A, a final question for you before we let you go. What, what format of point structure do you prefer? Do you prefer one that rewards winning, as in 25, 18, all the way down? Or do you prefer one like supercars where everyone gets a ribbon? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, it's hard to argue about the supercar one at the moment, isn't it? Because yeah. two years in a row, it's delivered unbelievably good championship showdowns, and that's in the end what we want. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I I really like. See, and and, I'll, and I'll just stop you there very quickly, and I'll go back to our races that we call with Porsche Carrera Cup. You've got a yeah. guy like Dale Wood who wins seven races in a year yeah. and finishes fifth in the championship. Yeah, but a championship isn't just about winning races. No, no, no I understand that. I understand that. It's, but, uh, but had he have been on the 25-18 schedule, chances are Dale Wood may have won or gone very close to winning that championship. Yeah, we'd have to crunch the numbers on that. Yeah, yeah but but at the same time, a championship is won over a year, and, and if you finish and second in every race and yeah, yeah, if you finish second in every race and don't win, you you should still win the championship or go close to it because of your consistency over the entire battle, and not just not just uh, winning a bunch of races but failing in the other ones. So Whether it was Russell Ingle that won a championship, or Rick Kelly without winning a race that year. Uh, no, well, I think Russ only won one in his championship year, didn't he? Yeah, I think. If, he, if he won one, he may not have even won yeah. one. 
Yeah, po- possibly. Yeah. But I, I don't mind that because no, that shows you, you you've been the most consistent over the course of a full season, and and that especially in supercars where there's so many different tracks, uh, events, points, all that. I think that's great. What I, what I do like is I like that every weekend pays the same amount of points, and instantly it puts an emphasis on the big races, which I have no problem with. Mm. So you get the same amount of points if you win both races at Simmons Plains as you do if you win Bathurst. Now, there, is, there are some that say that should be different, but I think Bathurst, but the, the big races are, by their nature, worth more. So if you have a DNF in one of the big races, be it one of the, the 250K or 300K races or Bathurst or Sandown, you lose a chunk of points, and that's, that's fair because they're the biggest races and they should mean more to the overall scheme of things than getting 150 points for winning the Saturday race at Timmins Plains. Yeah, well, so, um, there's no right or wrong answer to the question. I just wanted to know No, there's not. No, 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 I agree with you. No, I, I like what we've got. I like one that, that does reward winning, which I think Supercars does to an extent, but I, I really like consistency and I like building a championship over a year by running a whole group of results together, and I think that's the key to great champions who are good over over a year rather than good for a section and then have dramas and, and drop a bunch of points when they don't win. All right, we're going to dissect uh, Newcastle more next week, mate. Thanks for your time today, as always. Pleasure. All good. Enjoy your week. Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. And to talk everything two wheels, we catch up with Mark Brax, as we always do. G'day, Braxy. G'day, Shebex. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm fantastic and really looking forward to 2019 as it heads up with all things two wheels. And especially today when I opened up my emails this morning and saw an email in regards to the World Superbikes from the lovely Ingrid Ropers telling us that there's new bikes coming out and uh, all this sort of stuff and the new race format and the like. It's going to be a really refreshed series, isn't it, in 2019? It is. It's good to see that Dorna have done something to it because I know a lot of us have been a bit sceptical with Dorna owning both the MotoGP World Championship and also the Superbike World Championship. There's a bit of a conflict of interest and all the rest of it, but um, they seem to be um, fine-tuning it or retuning the um, the beast, which is the Superbike World Championship. As you said, three-race format next year with a, a race on the Saturday, which has been a bit, well, almost traditional. It's been a few years now. And then a race on Sunday morning, a sprint race, and then another race on Sunday afternoon. So that gives the fans something extra. And plus, uh, as you alluded to, the new look team, or the new look bikes with the new Panagali coming out, the V4 Ducati, which is, uh, well, it's it's even got people talking about it down here because I'll get onto that in a moment. But Troy Bayless will be campaigning one of them in the Aussie Superbike Championship. Just on that bike, Braxy, there's word out that it is the fastest bike to ever come out of the Ducati factory. Well, that's a big statement when you consider Huge, that Desmo Sadici GP bike with the likes of uh, um, a few weapons in, on board get up to about 350 kilometres an hour at uh, Mugello and uh, similar places. So, big statement from Ducati, but they're always, um, well, they do like their power. Um, and I can't see any reason why. Probably uh, might be refining that and saying the fastest ever production based bike ever built. Okay. Um, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, trying to outdo what they've done in the Desmo Savici with, you know, Divisioso and Lorenzo and so many others over the years, I think that's taking away from it just how good and powerful that machine is. It's been at the top, as you know, mate, it's at the top of the 
top speed charts yeah. every time we go to a Grand Prix, no matter where it's at. Yeah, correct. But they've but, also not only have they got the not only are they saying they've got the most powerful bikes, but they've probably got one of the best riders joining them as well with uh, Elverio Batista joining that team yeah, also well, for well, two thousand nine. Yeah, he's um, uh, well. We saw what he was like when he was given the uh, the uh, Golden Handshake Award, I suppose you could say, when he was given Lorenzo's bike at Australia and yeah. missed out on the podium by well, not a very lot, you know. Like even if Lorenzo was on that bike and uh, Dobby, you'd think well, Dobby was on it, but you think well, they couldn't have done much better than what Alvaro did. And now he's going back to the Ducati. Okay, it's probably a bit of tail between the legs moment for him. No one wants, wants to go there, and he's been basically forced to go there con- to continue his career. I'm sure his bank balance wouldn't be <laughs> moaning about it either. But uh, between him and Chaz Davis on the uh, GK, Chaz has been there a few few years, so he'll be the number one rider after Malundry was let go. Um, well, there's another there's another scenario we'll talk about. But uh, the GK, well, they've got to do something. They tried to... Um, um, limit the bike's revs last year and um, or this year, pardon me, to try and uh, get everybody closer to the Kawasaki. But as we've seen, the cream rose to the top again for the fourth time in a year, no matter what they do. So um, it's going to be interesting what um, Johnny Ray can do in reply. He's got a new teammate in Leon Haslam. Who's, um, well, he's, got, he's had more tickets than a raffle for um, getting into... Uh, GPs and superbikes and everything. He went to back to British superbikes. Now he's back in the world superbikes. Um, Malandri going to a new look team with the um, GYT Italian team that uh, fielded super sports this year with um, Luca Mahias uh, and uh, Caracasulo. And now we've got um, a new team for the superbikes in the in the superbike paddock with. Uh, it'll be Sandro Cortese, the ex Moto Three World Champion, the German with the French name. And uh, joining him will be Mark Yamalandri reuniting with Yamaha, who's he's had a little bit of success with Yamaha in the past, and I can see that continuing. He's got a bit of the, uh, how would you say it? Look at this, Ducati. This is what I can really do when they give me a bike that I want. So it's shaping up as a good year. I can't wait for uh, February to turn around when they come down here for the test and the first round of Phillip Island. And let's not forget that Jonathan Ray, of course, will be there as well. And he'll be uh, sitting back at Phillip Island over the next three or four months watching all of these changes and these developments with a lot of interest, I would have thought. Oh, for sure, mate. Yeah, he's uh, still got the passion. He'll be shooting for an unprecedented uh, five championships in a row. He's written a re- rewritten the record books this year. So you'd think on form he's going to continue that uh, in 2019. But as we know in racing, you know, one one year you're good and the next year can be, um, well, a poison to you. But Johnny Ray, I'm, I know, like you said, he'd be sitting back here at Phillip Island with the kids enjoying the, the summer break. There's a bit of uh, off-season testing to be had at uh, Reth and uh, uh, Valencia, sorry, near Valencia, and also coming down here to Australia. But, um, you know, it's going to be quite interesting to see what he can do and what Kawasaki can do in its uh, title defence. Because there's a lot of people, particularly uh, Tom Sykes, when he jumps on the Les Run, we haven't chatted about either. The BMW factory team coming in with uh, uh, the Sean Ewart managed team that looked after the Milwaukee Aprilia team this year with uh, the likes of uh, Eugene Laverty on board. Mm. They're uh, jumping onto the BMW, which makes sense because Sean Ewart runs BMWs in the British Superbike Championship and also on the Isle of Man for the road 
road races where our own David Johnson races for sure. Um, Sean Muir, a very nice bloke, very passionate about his racing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there with Tom Sykes jumping on that uh, alongside uh, Marcus Reinberger, the uh, German guy. Tom's got a bit of a point to prove how he adapts to the inline four uh, BMW compared to the inline four Kawasaki, but that's a brand new bike as well. So, um, no, I think we're in for a pretty exciting time uh, next year, and it's, uh, well, not before time in my view, Tony. We need something in the Superbikes because it has been taking nothing away from Johnny Ray, but it has been a bit processional in the last couple of years. Exactly. And you mentioned Troy Bayless, but of course, the World Superbikes will be at Phillip Island in February, and they'll be joined by the Australian Superbikes and Troy Bayless. Uh, confirming that he'll be riding again in 2019 on a Ducati. Yeah, on this new Ducati. Uh, and, uh, well, uh, well, we saw how good he was this year and how close he went to um, winning the title, finishing in the top three, mind you, in uh, the Australian Superbike Championship, which is no mean feat when you consider that some of the uh, the talent that he was up against is a lot... Um, his opposition, the one I think of about 15 Aussie titles between them, between the top four. So that's shaking up as a good one. Uh, next year, that starts, as you said, February, the first round of the ASBK alongside the first round of the World Superbike. So that should be good. And Troy Bayless, mate, you're seeing without his shirt on, he's ripped like a 20 year old. He was out there on the weekend with another ex champion, um, Shannon Johnson, up in Queensland doing a, uh, the, I think it was a World Veterans Mountain Bike Race. And uh, they both won their respective age divisions and basically coasted across the line hand-in-hand hand after they smashed the opposition. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of fitness left in the old boy. When you look at, his, when you look at him, you wouldn't think he was a 49-year-old, that's for sure. No, no, no. And uh, he, he, was, he had to do a lot of work, and I don't think a lot's been spoken about the amount of work that he had to do to get his body oh. right. He effectively put himself through a detox uh, session, <laughs> dropping 12 kilos, getting off the beer, all that sort yeah. of stuff, just to make sure that he was fit enough to do it. And that is a big effort now. I've known TB for a number of years, as you know, and uh, he does a mind a frosty treat occasionally. And for him to get there and put it all behind him, and well, he had to. You know, he's got a, he had a lot to prove. He's put, a, put his name on the line. What, um, you know, a glutton for punishment, I suppose you'd say, 10 years out of the world, out of the racing. And then comes back and says, I'm going to go and race these young blokes. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, right, eh? And then comes out and basically from the moment he jumped on the bike, he's got a podium in his very first race. So, um, and continued that throughout the year with a couple of race wins. Could have been a lot more race wins if there was been a bit more reliability in the tyres and getting them to uh, wear, a bit, wear a bit better. Uh, maybe this Ducati will suit him and uh, he'll be, well, he will be up the front again, but depending on how far up the front consistently as we may to be saying but I don't put anything past that old boy that's for sure. No exactly and uh, I think he's just competed up on the Gold Coast hasn't he in uh, the Pan Pacific Masters games on, on a mountain yeah. bike Yeah that's the one I was just talking about him and yeah. Shannon Johnson both okay, cool. yeah. respective classes and smashed, uh, smashed the opposition out of the park so but then he goes out yesterday goes riding and uh, injures himself yeah, oh well, he'll be fine. Uh, that's great news. It, it is excellent news. Hey, Braxy, just before we get on to the final round of MotoGP, which happens, of course, this weekend, got the opportunity to see down at Phillip Island the Moto e-bike uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Grand Prix there, and uh, a pretty special bike, actually. I mean, it's it's obviously still a long way off where a MotoGP bike is at, a top speed of 250Ks and the like at the moment for the e-bike, but uh, it's not a bad-looking bike. 
Yeah, it is. I'm still um, I'm old school, mate. I reckon there's nothing like the sound of a big book bike or a, a V8 engine. You know, and, um, agreed. Yeah, they sound stirred the soul to the nth degree. And uh, I've seen the uh, electric races before, and sure they're fast, but they just I don't know. They've got to get the um, decky cards in the spokes or something, and do the old kids trick to make it sound like something's got an engine in it. Yeah. I know it's getting, and that's the way of the future. And in 20 years' time, we'll be wondering what a petrol bike sounded like and things like that. I presume. I certainly hope not. Um, the lobby's always been room for the hysteric somewhere, but um, it is where we're going to it, and they are fast. I just don't think it's got the that little spark. Um, I'm part of the pun, yeah. um, <laughs> but um, to um, you know really grab you by the um, short and curly, so to speak, because. I'm sure all motorsport fans, and I'm not just the one of them being a bit of an old codger going, oh, you know, change, you know, why things change. But, you know, I think we've got to come up. It's going to be good. Um, the electric bikes, they've proven that the Isle of Man, they've proven it in America, well, in the uh, reliability and endurance trials, that it works. But, um, you know, I'll still be sitting there and uh, I'll watch it, but I'll be still having that little bit in reserve to hear the real things. And yeah. I'll tell you what, there might be a bit of a surprise next year on the on the grapevine, that there might be another two-times world champion actually signing up the race in this uh, first world championship for the e-bikes next year. Oh, who's that? Main name by the name of Troy Corsa. Wow, that'd be uh, that'd be exciting. Yeah, he's going to be riding with one of the Italian teams. Um, I believe that's um, fair way down the track as far as negotiations concerned, and he's still very competitive. With his race academies in Europe now, he was telling me the other week that he probably puts in three times as much track time now than he did when he was racing because the amount of instructing and out there racing and all the rest of it. And if anybody saw him at the Goodwood Festival on a 1929 supercharged BMW blitzing the field, you'll understand he's still got a bit of uh, talent left him in him as well. He was at a, he's uh, taken up jet surfing, which is a surfboard with a 100cc two-stroke engine in it. And he was just over in Miami after I left him in Indonesia, and uh, he went out there and won his first race against the best in America. No way. <laughs> How cool is yeah. that? So he'll be back. He'll be out there on the electric bike next year. Um, yeah, the motorsport's looking pretty healthy, I think, in all sorts of forms. But yeah, like I said, I'd still like the sound of the uh, those big 990cc or 1000cc uh, motorbikes or a big V8. There's nothing beats it. No, not too many people will disagree with you, Braxy. Just uh, finally, mate, let's turn our attention to MotoGP this weekend. Mark Marquette gets to go home a champion again. Uh, great for him. Jeez, I tell you what, Braxy, the, the, there's a lot of word about so many changes happening in the Yamaha team for next year. They they really are concerned about the form that they had in 2018. Yeah, well, it's not the form of the riders. It's the form of what's been going in the back rooms yeah. and everything. Um, maybe they've found something since Japan, um, Shebex, because uh, being both in Yarnies and Rossi are being a lot more competitive for the length of the race. Look at Sepang last week. When was the last time we actually saw Rossi leave from the start? And with three laps to go, it looked like he had it in the bag. But just uh, oh, going into that uh, downhill first turn, he was trying to up the pace a little because he knew Marquez was coming to get him. Uh, but, mate, there was the slowest and most innocuous of crashes you could ever think of. But what a way for it, uh, you know, for him to exit that race. He was leaving. Vignales was up there as well. I think they might have found something with getting the um, the electronics sorted. They're going to have to do a lot of soul-searching during the year and a lot of testing during the off-season because, naturally, 
in all forms of motorsport, um, everybody improves um, and they've got to improve more so than like if you're going to do a 10% increment improvement, Yamaha will need to have a 20 or 25% improvement to uh, make sure that they're competitive for the whole year and come out of the box firing. And that'll be interesting to see what happens um, after the Valencia race on the Tuesday afterwards when they get into the basically the first off-season test for the year when all the new look boys, in, well, I won't be so much in their colours, but on the new bikes and stuff. So yeah. Yamaha really got to think about it because now you've got the A-team uh, in the Repsol Honda squad with Lorenzo jumping from the Ducati to the Honda. Um, you'd think that, uh, you know, it's a similar engine configuration, both of them V4 engine plants. Um, he's going to adapt to that a lot better than what he did coming off the Yamaha onto the Ducati. So Rossi and Vignales have got a, a little bit of work to do, but they've got to have the people behind him uh, to make sure that they get that Yamaha. And I think we, we saw a bit of an indication in it with, from Japan, Australia, and then Sepang was uh, Rossi leading for, what, 90% of the race. Um, I think they have found something. Um, Valencia is probably not the best track that you're going to get an idea for the Yamaha. It's never really done much there. Okay, Lorenzo has won there in the past, but oh, that was in his world championship year. But uh, I don't think that's going to be a good indicator for them. It's uh, the high-speed high tracks. If they can get something going at Valencia and both them finish on the podium or near the podium, that'll prove that Yamaha are right back on track. Braxy, the interesting thing's going to be, and, and Valentino Rossi has pretty much got his own way every team he's gone to and the people that he wants working with him. Now, obviously, Lynn Jarvis has come out and said that there's going to be some massive changes that we need to make to fix the problems. We're going to have more engineers and new engineers, but I just can't say where. Is this going to be a real test of whether Valentino Rossi does hold as much power in the team as what we think he does as compared to what the Japanese want to do with the team? Well, it will be. It's going to probably be a bit of a tug of war and dig the heels in to see how far you can get with, I suppose, calling the bluffs, for want of a better word, if they, if he wants to. Because I know Ramon, Ramon Foncada is moving on from uh, Maverick Vignales. Whether Galbacero, who's been with Rossi since um, Jeremy Burgess was replaced, what's that now, four years yeah, ago? Yeah, already. correct, yeah. yeah. Is it that long? Two years. Well, yeah. Like minimum, yeah, it is. So... If Galbacera stays there, I'm sure... Well, and there's the other side, too, um, with Rossi's team. He's got the likes of Brett Stevens, yep. um, Woodsy, uh, um, uh, what's his name, uh, the Belgian guy that's been there for a lot of years. Gary Coleman moved on this year after years with the team. Uh, have those guys cried enough, or are they going to stick with him? Because Rossi would... Well, mate, those guys have been his... Um, Backbone and his, you know, the tree of support for since he came into the MotoGP ranks way back then. Uh, does Briggsy and um, Co. Do they stay there, or do they move on as well and they get more that, that where uh, Jarvis will get the team? I think it's more what they're looking for is more the backroom guys, the more the guys that are looking after the telemetry and reading all the electronics and getting the bike because getting the bike to work because the, the um, they, they change the balance of the bike at Sepang. Uh, to give it, uh, well, it's been tearing up the tyres a bit much and Rossi is also not having the right feel in the front. But they've changed the bike a little bit to, uh, to reform it and I believe that uh, he's got he's feeling a lot more comfortable and he's actually had to adapt his style a bit more because no matter what Michelin was giving them, he wasn't being able to adapt with his riding style. So he's actually had to change that a little bit more to adapt to the characteristics of the Michelin tyres with the Yamaha. So... 
who I'd say that the majority of it stay the same, but you'll, you'll see the difference in the uh, in the techos at the back. There might be a few more staring at computers for the weekend that you might see when the uh, the TV shots pan through the garages. Yeah, gee, it was a 25 race winless streak broken finally at Phillip Island, but that's just a, a long time not to have a win for that Yamaha uh, team. For the Japanese, that's still like, you know, <laughs> they say they fall on the sword. Well, they did fall on the sword this year, but they came out and apologised yeah. in public. Yeah. And the Japanese companies don't do that, whether it be car, bike, or um, guitar makers. Um, you know, they all keep they, they keep the failures in house, and they like to keep uh, they don't like admitting their failures. But for them to come out halfway through the season and say that they've really stuffed up, that shows a lot of humbleness by the Japanese. And uh, uh, to go out on the public limb and say, "Well, we're not up to speed," uh, you don't hear that very often in motorsport, particularly from the Japanese companies. No, so. Let's see what happens next year. Well, let's see what happens in Valencia and then from the test on the Tuesday, Wednesday after the final round. And let's see what uh, happens this weekend, Braxy. We'll talk about it next Monday. No worries, mate. Let's have a good one. Good on you, mate. Mark Brax joining us here talking bikes on the grid. Massive weekend up in Sydney at Kudos Bank Arena. The Oz X Open to tell us all about it is our man Steve Munro. G'day, Steve. Tony, how are you, my friend? Yeah, excellent. Thank you, mate. You've only just got back. A huge weekend up there, a huge event, but a little bit different this year. Yeah, just a little bit different. As we spoke about a few weeks back, uh, the guys uh, at AME Management have just, just went with the uh, the one main day of event uh, this year, um, running closely on the heels of uh, of the X Games up there in Sydney and pretty much in the same location. Um, they uh, know the demographics well and felt that uh, the one day was probably the, the safest bet for the event, uh, which turned out to work because that stadium was absolutely sold out on Saturday. Not a seat left in the house, so um, a good call by those guys, but they did add a little bit of value to the event in that they ran a program on the Friday night, which isn't something they had done before. Okay. So a lot, of, a lot of the uh, qualifying, um, some practices um, for most of the classes, as well as the 85 CCs, the kids got out there on the Friday night. So they actually made um, that part of the program um, somewhat a very good way of doing it and adding value to the weekend as well. I haven't been to one yet, and I promise I will get to one, but I've watched a couple on television, and it's fantastic to watch. It's exciting. It's full on, and I love the Kudos Bank Arena where they actually go in under the seats, that section, and then come back out. It's uh, pretty amazing stuff to watch. Yeah, look, they really need to do that. They need to utilise that space under the stands. Um, otherwise, that track would be somewhat tight. Um, yeah. Interestingly, the fastest section of track is that section of track um, that goes under the stands. Um, it makes for great viewing. They've got, obviously, massive screens up inside the stadium there and all that footage of them going underneath the stands see on the big screen so they keep cutting to the big screen um but uh yeah we're sort of waiting with bated breath to see who pops out through that uh through that tunnel entrance back into the stadium um is a very exciting component uh, but yeah like you said uh, a huge weekend we had um so many different events uh we had uh, fmx of course as we yep. do every year um shane boyd who is uh, a guy who um hasn't raced for a little while now um seriously um but he is a, an australian crowd favorite he won the best whip competition that's based on crowd response so uh he was a very very popular winner in the best whip fmx competition and then blake bilko williams who is a, a very well known name globally in fmx he uh won best trick in uh, the fmx 
And then we also had the Boost Mobile International Showdown, which was uh, basically uh, three American riders, three Australian riders, and they did a relay-style race oh, cool. um, to uh, see who could uh, take out that title. A little bit, uh, um, you know, uh, nudging a wink. It's not overly serious, but uh, still Australia managed to come out and uh, win that one, captained by Chad Reed. so that was exciting Except for the fans. Yeah. And explain, we had our little, our, our little... Sorry, Gal, again. I was sorry, mate. No, you finish off. Uh, the KTM um, 50ccs, we had the little kids out there on the track. Now, they don't do the whole track uh, because some of those jumps, those kids just uh, wouldn't stand a chance of getting over. Um, but that's awesome for those guys to come out and ride their little 50cc bikes in front of a, a packed stadium. We also saw the Yamaha Celebrity Cup. Now, we've got some pretty significant names. We're riding some little TTR bikes. And again, it's a bit of a laugh. Uh, but uh, you know uh, sports people when they mm-hmm. get out onto anything be it a sporting field or a racetrack um, they, they don't muck around too much it all gets serious pretty quickly so Mark Winterbottom Brett Deledio Dale oh. Wood Nathan Hindmarsh Trent Hod- Hodkinson um, and Chris Atkinson ex-rally uh, driver so some really big names there mate out on the track and uh, Winterbottom's competitive streak I think came to the fore there and uh, he managed to take that one out and additionally, we had the Yamaha Two-Stroke Cup. So, like I said, mate, no uh, no shortage of uh, action packed into uh, into the Saturday's event. Um, so, seeing two strokes back in a competitive uh, environment was an absolute crowd favourite. The guys at AME actually put out a social media vote um, a few months back and said, should we include two, a two-stroke event? And, mate, social media almost melted down. Really? The fans came back and said, Let's make it happen. So uh, Ryan Marmont, who, again, hasn't raced for a few years, uh, came back uh, with a KTM-backed two-stroke bike. And uh, KTM is one of the few manufacturers still manufacturing a two-stroke bike. So they threw a lot behind that bike and brought out an absolutely amazing machine. So he was quite comfortable in his his win of that event. Um, But our own Taylor Potter... Uh, on his Honda, which uh, has got a, quite a few years on it, but uh, he's put a lot of work into it. He came second on the night, Good so that was an awesome, awesome night for him. That's fantastic stuff. Now, explain the Triple Crown format for us. Yeah, so Triple Crown is a different format to, I guess, uh, what is a traditional Supercross format. So it means that rather than um, just having your qualifying, your heats, and then one main event of what would normally be around 20 laps or something like that, um, you actually have three main events on the night. Uh, so the guys go out and do its different uh, number of laps uh, for the class. The uh, 250 guys do three seven-lap main races, and the 450 guys do three ten-lap main races. So it actually means they're doing more laps for a longer period of time, but with a short break in between each. But they're pretty much back-to-back. So, But the, the real advantage of the Triple Crown format is if you have one bad race, it doesn't mean you're shot for the night. You've got another two chances or another chance to, to sort of rectify things, regroup, uh, hopefully get a better start and put yourself in a better position. So it is a great format. It's good for the fans, and I think the riders like it too because they do have that chance to recuperate if they, they have one bad race. It's uh, not their night over. Yeah, exactly right. All right, let's go through some of the results for the big boys, and we'll kick it off with the SX2 and the 250ccs. Yeah, so uh, again, we talk about uh, some of these riders coming out from uh, from overseas. Um, well, it was no different on uh, on Saturday night. So uh, Penrite Honda had, had uh, one of their riders go down injured in the 250 class. So they brought out Cameron McAdoo from America uh, for just this one round. Well, that proved to be a, a great uh, result because he uh, went uh, two two two. So uh, he got seconds in all three, but that gave him the, the win for the night. 
Um, Jackson Richardson, who was our number one plate holder from uh, last season, uh, only managed a sixth in the first, but then went 1-1 in the following two races. So uh, hitting his straps probably a little bit later than what he would have liked in the season, but uh, doing very well on the night, coming in with a second with that result. And then Hayden Melross finished out the uh, finished out the um, night in third. But uh, with only 13 points separating the top four coming into that final round, uh, Yamalubes, Yamaha's Jay Wilson got uh, sixth on the night, but that was enough for him to secure the title. So he almost retired from the sport um, before this season. Mm. Uh, so it was a very emotional victory for him to uh, tie up the title. And, uh, yeah, six was, was enough to do that last night. And then, of course, the 450ccs, the SX1. Yeah, so the big boys, uh, certainly a stacked field. Uh, as you know, a lot of riders come out from the States uh, for this one. The event brings them out, um, not necessarily teams. Uh, so Chad Reed was out for that one, as he has been for the last number of years. Jason Anderson, who's the current world champion, so you can imagine that how he's going to go all right. Uh, Dean Wilson, who currently doesn't have a ride, but he's still on Husqvarna um, and still very, very quick, was out. Justin Brayton, of course, who's done the whole series, uh, was here. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we had Ryan Villapoto and Justin Barsha both uh, supposed to be at this event. Um, Justin Barsha pulled out for personal reasons a few weeks back, um, but only with one week to go, Ryan Villapoto's father passed away from a massive heart attack. Um, he, he did indicate that he was still coming. It was something he and his father had been working on, um, focused on together to get out to Australia for this event. Um, but it was only within about 24 hours of the event that uh, Ryan actually said, look, there's a few more things come up uh, personally. I'm not going to be able to make it. And um, social media, the general public, um, and even at the event, um, the support for Ryan and his decision to do that um, was very, very obvious. Um, and uh, he, he um, did a press release to, to that effect that he would have loved to have been there. Uh, but, yeah, no, everyone was very, very supportive of that decision and completely understands. But it left a still very, very impressive um class to watch and uh, Jason Anderson being that world title holder he went 1-1-1 so he won every race and looked yeah. absolutely untouchable on he Saturday did. night Yeah, um, Dean Wilson uh, not too far behind him with a third, third and a second um, gave him second place and then Daniel Reardon another guy who uh, retired a little while ago, stepped away from the sport came back, he's no spring chicken either but he rides like a man uh, many years younger than what he actually is with a four two and a three that got him third on the night so uh, a great result for him now chad reed our uh, hometown favorite he had a tough night mate um they, they have a thing called the shannon shortcut um so one time during the three uh, main races you can take a shortcut on the track it's there it's to be used uh our good mate chad forgot that he'd already used it at one point oh. and used it a second time in the final race. Uh, so it did that, using it, putting him into first, um, but he got docked five positions for that. So uh, he didn't quite finish off the night he would have liked, but uh, in all honesty, he only dropped in one place, but he finished with a fifth on the night. But uh, for a third year in a row, um, Penrite Honda's Justin Brayton uh, from America, his fourth for the night secured him the Australian Supercross title. So, uh, yeah, very happy Penrite Honda going up. Uh, well, a three-peat for them in the SX1 class, taking out that title yet again. Uh, we get the shovels out, dig up the dirt, put it on a boat and tend it to uh, Auckland for two weeks' time. Yeah, look, that might be one way to do it. Not sure that they will. Yeah, but, uh, I'm sure they won't either, but it, uh, it sounded good. The, the, the result's going to be the same uh, because uh, Mount, 
Mount Smart Stadium is going to be uh, yeah, very, very full of dirt. Um, and as uh, as I always say, Supercross fans uh, say stadiums are built for Supercross, and uh, that's the way it's going to be in a couple of weeks' time on November 24th in Auckland. So uh, that is the second round of that, uh, what is a two-stop Oceana Championship. Um, certainly hoping that that Oceana Championship over the next year or two will uh, grow in stature and maybe have a couple of extras added to the calendar. That remains to be seen. But, uh, yeah, two weeks' time, we're in uh, Auckland and uh, both Chad Reid and Dean Wilson have confirmed that they'll race those rounds as well. So, um, yeah, it should be a, a huge event and uh, can't wait for it. Should be an absolute cracker, mate. All the best. Uh, thank you for chatting with us and we'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Talk to you then, Tony. Looking forward to it. Johnny Steve. Steve Munro joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of On The Grid. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you again next week right here on mypodcasthouse.com.